There's a great There's big a great big 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 tomorrow, tomorrow, and it's just, just a dream away. There's, There's a great big beautiful tomorrow, shining at the end of every day. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow, and tomorrow is just a dream away. Shining at the end of every day, there's a great big beautiful tomorrow. Just a dream away. It's just only just one dream Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story. There's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities. And you can find magic in your everyday life. If you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. How can you write your first chapter today? Dreams are how we figure out where we want to go. Life is how we get there. I'm headed this way. We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 316. A little bit longer intro today, but I think it was completely warranted. I could have put in the full set, so I was able to scale it back a little bit, I think, compared to what I wanted to do. I mean, it's easy to get carried away when it comes to the Dapper Dans. Yes, but we have so much to cover today for the storytelling around the Dapper Dans preparing for Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary. Before we get into that, let's hear a note from our sponsor. If you are in the market to start planning a Disney trip, maybe you've been eyeing a cruise, maybe you want to come down to celebrate the 50th anniversary, maybe you're just interested in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, whatever it might be, you need to look no farther than our friend and travel partner, Hannah Little with Creating Magic Vacations. She is great at her job. She's easy to work with. She helps you find the best deals. And I mean, she's just the best person ever, honestly. So if you are interested in planning that trip, there are a couple different ways that you can get in contact with Hannah. You can click on the link in the show notes or you can go to detourtoneverland.com slash little bit of Disney. And if you're looking for other ways to connect with Hannah, maybe learn more about her, see what she knows, connect with her. You can also find her on Instagram at little bit of Disney underscore. And right now she's doing something really cool. She's on a Disney cruise. I'm only slightly jealous. Only slightly. She's seen Chip and Dale, I think, every day, like multiple times a day, and that has me pretty jealous. Castaway K, twice. Castaway Key. Whatever. Key, K. Who are Kuna you? Kuna Matata. <laughs> I don't know. This episode is also made possible by our brand new patrons of our Patreon. We wanted to thank our brand new patrons since our last episode, Megan and Lindsay. We are so, so appreciative of you. So... Our first round of patrons got their magnets in the mail, I think, today, or it should be pretty close. I saw our friends out in California got theirs today, so 
The Pony Express has made its way out there, so I would expect if you are a patron, you will be getting that magnet soon and maybe a little bit of an extra surprise in there as well. And we have 25 of these magnets to give out. We are at 13 patrons right now. I'm not good at math. I think that's 12 left. <laughs> Correct, sir. Good. Glad that checks out. So we would love to have you on board. Our Patreon is just $5 a month, and it gets you a lot of things. It gets you bonus episodes. It gets you behind-the-scenes how-tos and tutorials, HD wallpapers, all kinds of stuff, and we'd love to have you over there. You can check all of that out at patreon.com slash detour to Neverland. Catherine, I just need you to know that if we get too far into this and you see something running down my face, they're not tears. They're not tears. They're not tears. I mean, this is pretty wholesome, so there's a good chance that I will shed some tears. I don't know why the Dapper Dans just hit you right in the heart, it seems like. They're just perfect. When you think Main Street, if you're not thinking Dapper Dans, there's a problem. So as we approach the 50th, which is next Friday, October 1st, we wanted to cover another one of those opening day attractions or experiences that our guest on October 1st, 1971 would have experienced and something that has stayed true all throughout this time, and that is the Dapper Dans. Although the Dans originated in Disneyland, of course, they were there for opening day of the Magic Kingdom on October 1st, 1971. We'll lay all that timeline out later about how the pieces were put in place in Disneyland before. We're going to focus on both of them and kind of the origination for where the idea behind the Dans came from because the idea behind them is the same for both Walt Disney World and Disneyland. I like that you're calling them the Dans. You're on like a first name basis with them, I well, feel like. you know, I played with like the double Ds, the, <laughs> the Dans, the Danos, uh, my heart and joy. Danny boy yeah, makes I me just, think Shit's Creek. I just thought that the Dans would be a good little abbreviation to do for the purpose of this episode trying to save our listeners time. You think every time that I take out Dapper, that's like 30 seconds back probably. Oh, well then you're welcome, I guess. It's a good bang for your buck here. Currently, the Dapper Dans only play in the US Castle Parks, so in Disneyland Park and in Magic Kingdom, although previously they did make appearances in Disneyland Paris and in Hong Kong Disneyland. In Disneyland Paris, they were there from opening day in 1992 until 2001, so they lasted nine years there. Something that is very interesting about the Dans in Disneyland Paris is that they were all UK-based, so they were British Dapper Dans. Oh my gosh, I have to find a video of that. That sounds so fun. Yep. So not French, not American, but British Dapper Dans. Is this like the Harry Styles version of the Dapper Dans? That's what it automatically makes me think of. Well, in 1992, I don't think Harry Styles was even born yet. So I don't know. He's No, he's got to be like as old as we are. No, I think he's younger than us. I'm about to look it up. Okay, go ahead. Okay. You look it up while I keep talking. You keep going. Sadly, they only lasted for one year in Hong Kong Disneyland from 2007 to 2008. I couldn't find too much reasoning as to why it didn't stick there, but for whatever reason, they only lasted for a year. How old is Harry Styles? He is seven days older than I am, February 1st, 1994. So he was not alive in 1992. My point stands. Okay. Well, I mean, but he's our age range. He's not like a 18-year-old. Correct. 
But I think before we go too far in into the Dapper Dans, we do need to have a little refresher on the story of Main Street USA because they do sort of go hand in hand for what they're trying to accomplish or what they're offering to the guest from like an experience standpoint. So the land and architecture were influenced by two main American cities. I assume you can guess one of them. I mean, one of them has to be Marceline, Missouri. Correct. So first one that always comes to mind is that that's where they drew influence from. Marceline, Missouri, Walt's hometown. Although Walt did call Marceline his hometown, he actually only spent about four to five years living there. We know he spent time in Chicago and in Kansas City, but he considered Marceline to be like his boyhood home. And he later went on and referred to this period of living in Marceline as his formative years and also the best time of his life. But I can kind of relate to that because I lived in good old Abilene, Kansas for five years. And I feel like it was the same thing. It's not like, you know, that, I don't know if I would call it my hometown. I still consider Tennessee probably more of my hometown, but that's your childhood. That's where you grew up. That's where you made your first friends, all of those type of things. I think it is influential. Yeah. So eventually we will visit Marceline, Missouri someday. I know there's a coffee shop that's like Walt Disney inspired there, like coffee roasters. Then there's a museum there and all kinds of stuff. So we will make it out there one day. The other town that was influential before I go on, do you know what it is? No. Fort Collins, Colorado. And this was actually probably even more influential than Marceline, Missouri on this because although Walt was overseeing Main Street USA, he did delegate a lot of this work and the architecture and things like that. And this fell on to the Imagineer Harper Goff. And Harper was born in Fort Collins, Colorado and grew up there. And so he took influence on from his hometown in order to build this quintessential Main Street USA. So whenever he was tasked with this process, he and his wife actually traveled back to Fort Collins, Colorado. They were hosted by the mayor. It was like a pretty (laughs) big deal for him to come back. They let him into the city archives and the county archives to see all these really uh, historical photographs of what these buildings look like when they were building them and buildings that were no longer standing. He did this around... Well, it would have been in the early 1950s whenever he did this, but when they were getting ready to build Disneyland. But Harper was born right around that turn of the century. So he really wanted to get that time period between like 1890 and 1910, which is where Main Street USA is set in time. So he pretty much adopted specifically the city hall is like an exact replica of the Fort Collins, Colorado city hall that they had out there. And also the bank building. He just loved them so much that he took pictures of them, went back to Imagineering and said, this is what we're doing. Which one is the bank building? Like when you say that you make, you make it sound like I'm supposed to know what that is. Well, funny you should ask that because I actually had to look this up because I was interested to know where it is. So it's right when you come out of the train station directly on your right. So now is the Disney Gallery building. It used to be an annual pass building, but right there on your right, the very furthest building. So kind of near the Mr. Lincoln 
building? Yeah, to the right of that. Okay. Well, that's pretty cool. Now, did you know that it actually was a real bank at one point? I did not know that. It was actually a branch of Bank of America where Bank of America customers could go in there and actually use it as a real bank in Disneyland. Were there like tellers there? Yep. Oh my gosh. How cool would that be? Bank teller in Disneyland. That's probably a completely different episode that we could do, but they even had to get like special permission from the FDIC and all kinds of things in order to do it. And yeah, they had a real bank on Main Street. I'm surprised that they would go through all that trouble. The last thing I want to say about this Main Street is I do enjoy that they were able to make it based off of their hometowns, Marceline and Fort Collins. I just think they could have really drawn out that scouting process because how cool would it have been to go to small towns from all over the United States? If they're really going for that Main Street USA, I'm sure a lot of these small towns have very similar looks. I just think the research would be so fun. Well, I would agree with that. I do. I would be interested to know what came first. Was it that it just happened to be that both Marceline and Fort Collins buildings were built around the turn of the century? And that's why they both fit into that mold? Or did they decide the timeline before then? You know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. I Maybe that's just the time period for small town USA, you know, like squares. Well, and it makes sense for both of their ages, too. Yeah. You know, that would have been, they were both very young around that time period. So by the time they grew up and started noticing things, those would have been the buildings that made sense to them or or would have been right in front of their faces or ones that were built late 1800s, early 1900s. Isn't it crazy to say that, though? That these buildings were modeled from the 1800s. Well, I also thought that when I wrote the turn of the century, and now someone could take turn of the century to be from 1999 to 2000 as well. It's kind of scary. It is a little scary. So there is a deeper storytelling available specifically referencing like the Main Street windows and the attractions posters and the whole idea behind how they let you come into the park. We're not going to get into too deeply of that today. We'll probably save that for another episode. But for now, basically all that we all need to understand is that Main Street USA is set around the turn of the century and what it was based off of. We'll, we'll leave it at that for now. Very simple. So before we jump into the Dapper Dans, there is one other thing that I want to cover beforehand, and that is a little brief history of barbershop quartets. Because I did not know much about them before, did you? I know nothing about barbershop quartets. So according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, this is a direct quote, barbershop style singing is characterized by a cappella singing with three voices harmonizing to the melody of a fourth voice. In all male groups, the voice parts are tenor, lead, baritone, and bass, with the lead normally singing the melody and the tenor harmonizing above. And it says, although barbershop quartet singing is associated with the United States, its origin in the 19th century are obscure. It may date from an era when American barbershops formed social and musical centers for men, or it may refer back to the British expression of barber's music, denoting an 
extemporized performance by patrons waiting to be shaved and referring to a barber's traditional role as a musician. Now that absolutely blew my mind. I'm very confused. Is it just saying, would people sing like waiting to get their hair done? Yes. And the barber would take part as like an entertainment to getting shaved or your haircut. Wow. See, at first you had me at acapella. I'm just thinking like pitch perfect. That's oh my a, God. That's my extent of acapella knowledge. I mean, we're not musically inclined by any stretch of the imagination. Never, no choir. I did like piano lessons as a kid, but that was about it. Did you play the recorder? I, I think everyone has to play their quarter at one point in time. It must be a school standard for everybody. That's what I'm curious about is who decided that everybody in the country growing up in the 90s and maybe before then, but I guess I can just specifically speak on the 90s, that all kids going through the public school system had to learn to play the recorder. Surely that person had a large investment in recorder companies, <laughs> right? Well, and you had to share them. No, I had my own. I had to buy one. You shared you a mentor. <laughs> oh, that is very concerning. <laughs> no, you didn't buy them, did yes, you? Yes, I did. I owned a recorder. I had it at my home. You must be fancy. <laughs> you would share them with other students? I think so. I think the school just had a set and you would get one and then I think you had to return it. I'm sure they cleaned them. You're sure they cleaned them? I don't, I don't know, Brendan. I work in a school now. I would have to hope that they would be sanitized. But that's, again, a little cringy. My kids that I teach right now do not come back to class with recorders. Are they playing them? Like, is that, are they still kids today in 2021 are doing recording? <laughs> the do in the recorder? I'll have to ask. I know they play drums and you know, bells and xylophones and things like that because they always want to, they will invite me in to listen to them play at the end of their class. I am actually, would that have been in Kansas or Tennessee that you would have played the recorder? Probably both. I'm telling you, I think this was a nationwide thing. I bet kids all over the United States were stuck playing the recorder. And not one of us have picked it up since elementary school. You never hear God, somebody it's a saying... It's terrible noise. It's not a real instrument. Yeah, nobody, There are no bands with recorders. Nobody goes on to be part of a symphony playing the recorder. No. Okay. Anyway, I guess that's enough tangent. We're on it yet. Needless to say, not musically inclined. But I do think that is interesting that that could be where barbershop comes from is because that could have been where this style of music originated. And then that does tie it to the UK as well. So it may not be a strictly American thing. Which is also a little baffling then that the Dapper Dans did not make it in those other parks. You'd think if it did originate, or at least if it had ties in the UK, that Paris maybe would have latched onto it a little more. Tokyo, I could kind of see. It was Hong Kong. Not oh, Tokyo. Hong Kong. Sorry. That maybe they would be like, take it or leave it. Because I, they just weren't interested. I would, if I had to venture and guess the reason why it fails in Disneyland Paris is not because they were bad performers or there weren't 
enough UK visitors because that's always been a huge market for Disneyland Paris. I would say it's more just with Euro Disney being a train wreck when it started. And they probably got cut at some point and they just never brought them back. Because around 2001, wouldn't that be when they're changing it over from Euro Disney to Disneyland Paris, I think. I mean, that would make sense. Yeah. So let's talk about the Dapper Dans now. So like we've kind of previously mentioned, you will pretty much exclusively find them on Main Street USA. There are a few exceptions like the Cadaver Dans in Disneyland will sometimes go around the rivers of America. And Walt Disney World, sometimes you'll find them in Frontierland. Pretty much, it's a safe bet that you will find them on Main Street USA. And that's because they fit into this time frame of when this style of music would have been very popular. So, of course, they did start in Disneyland, and this took place in 1957, when a talent booker for Disneyland basically just gathered four singers that they knew were talented and arranged them and put them on Main Street, and they were called the Main Street Quartet. And so these four singers worked together from 1957 until 1959. As the Main Street Quartet, there's a little bit of discrepancy about when they actually adopted the name, the Dapper Dans, but I'll talk about that in just a second. But of course, we always have to tie this back to Walt, because if the talent booker was going out and looking for a barbershop quartet, it's probably because Walt told him to. And Walt, it is proven that he was always a fan of this style of music. In 1957, he asked a musical group, a barbershop quartet called The Mellow Men, to record an album of Disney music, some Disney music and some other music that they arranged. And they sold that record in the parks from 1957 for like many years, like 20 years or something that they were selling this in the parks. Just because Walt liked the sound of it, it's just, it was his ideal style of music. I don't know if it was ideal, but yeah, the, the, he liked it and he had him record it and he made money off of it. So it's probably why he kept selling it. That's pretty cool. The Mellow Men. I mean, so they were an established, were they famous? I have no earthly idea. I'm not a Mellow Men expert. I don't know if you... I just, I just kind of pegged that as your kind of music. The Mellow Men have not made it into my Spotify playlist yet. Maybe someday, but... They're probably listening right now, so it'll show up tomorrow. Yeah, I'm sure since they were in their prime in 1957, they are very much still alive. I meant the computer, Brendan. The computer is listening. Oh. Alexa, someone out here is listening to us. You can't say the A word on a podcast. Now, everybody who has an Amazon device... Who is listening right now is trying to turn it off frantically. They're all listening to Mellow Men. (laughs) You're welcome. Okay. So like I previously mentioned, this group, the Main Street Quartet, lasted for two years from 1957 until 1959 before Walt and the other people who were in charge of entertainment decided that they wanted to add some comedy and some tap dancing to this act because they thought it would be better for, for the guest. So... They basically scrapped the Main Street Quartet, which is a little bit sad. In this day and age, all of the entertainment would have been on three-month contracts. So nobody was full-time, nobody was salary if you were in entertainment. And so you would get a notice if your contract was being renewed or they just wouldn't renew you. So they weren't technically fired. They just were not 
renewed. So this three months. I mean, that's a little. I don't know what I'm what the word would be, but that's short. Just to know that you're going to work for three months at a time. It's not much job security there. There's there's none. So the new group and the new act was formed in 1959, and the bass singer of the group, who was named T.J. Marker, is attributed with creating the name the Dapper Dans. However, that same group, the Main Street Quartet, there must have been some crossover at some point, because I want to follow up and see what happened to them, is that they must have either gotten wind that that's what this new group was being called, or T.J. might have mixed with them at some point, but they as a group started touring on their own outside of Disneyland after 1959. And they went to Reno, Nevada, Las Vegas, Nevada, and they went onto the Mickey Finn show. I don't know much about the Mickey Finn show, but I would assume it's maybe like the tonight show or something. Sort of late show. Yeah. And so they would appear as the dapper four since Disney owned the rights to the Dapper Dans. Now, maybe they picked that up after they left Disneyland as just a way to say, like, we were the predecessors to the Dapper Dans, but that's what they would tour as. I wonder why they wouldn't have just called themselves the Main Street Quartet, though, because Main Street is not copyrighted. Yeah, but I wonder if Disney still owned it. They were scared to go that route. I could see that. I, I also think it's interesting that... A barbershop quartet, not to say that they weren't talented enough or anything, but just for them to be able to tour in all those places and go on a late show, they must have been a big deal. Yeah, I mean, they only made it to one state. They only made it to Nevada and the Mickey Finn show. But But Las Vegas sounds like a big deal to me. Yeah, I mean, maybe they went other places as well. And maybe that Las Vegas was just where the money was for something like this. Uh, But yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if they had like knockoff outfits too. I wonder if we could find their appearance on the Mickey Finn show. Ooh, we're going to have to look for it. YouTube it. A couple other things to note really surrounding the name. So Dapper Dan was a term that was used then was appropriate for like the turn of the century time and was referring to a well-dressed and groomed gentleman who was quote unquote dapper or stylish. Well, and this has got to be also where we get dapper days because everyone dresses in this style. You go all out. You got, you know, the heels, the hair, the makeup, outfits in the sweltering heat. Yeah, I don't know why dapper days doesn't take place in like January 12th. When it's perfect outside. Correct. Um. Something else that I thought was interesting was a quote from Sonny Anderson, who was in charge of musical entertainment at the time in Disneyland when they made this switch in 1959 and brought in the Dapper Dans and shoot out the Main Street Quartet. Here's just part of his quote. He said, we have plenty of entertainment for kids, but we need a quartet that it could entertain their parents, the older people. So we see this all throughout history of Walt referencing this and other Imagineers and executives mentioning this, that, of course, the thing that we know, you know as the listener, but the common person maybe doesn't know, is that Disney does go out of their way to provide a lot of entertainment for adults as well that's not geared for children. 
which I do think is quite smart because the parents are the ones footing the bill. So there's nothing there but kitty rides and chicken fingers. It's fun. Obviously, we love it. But for people looking for a family vacation, there needs to be a little bit more. Yep. Another note to say along these first couple of years of the Dapper Dans is that Lillian was also a big fan of the Dapper Dans. And it said that she and Walt, at least once a week, but sometimes more often than that, they would always go into Disneyland and they would have breakfast at the Hills Brother Cafe on Main Street. They had a back room there, which I think is now Carnation Cafe. Same area. And they would have the Dans come and serenade them and do a special performance just for them as they were eating breakfast. What a treat. Can you imagine being those Dapper Dans who had the opportunity to sing for Walt and Lillian just like at their beck and call? I mean, wow. Would you do it like at at the drop of a hat? Yeah, You don't really have a choice, do you? He's Walt Disney. Whatever he wants. So from 1959 to current day, the Disneyland Dapper Dans haven't changed too often. A couple things to note that you may have seen over the years if you've been going to Disneyland for a long time. You may have been lucky enough that you saw the Disneyland Dance perform on a specially commissioned four-seater Schwinn bicycle. And this was a bike that Walt commissioned himself from Schwinn that he thought it would be funny if the Dapper Dans performed on it. So four-seater... Four pedals all in a row, and they would ride up and down Main Street either by themselves or in the afternoon or the evening Disneyland parades singing their songs on this bicycle. I do think it's interesting that they took just the barbershop quartet and decided to make it kind of comedic to add that in. So it wasn't just singing or singing and dancing but they even still tell jokes today. I kind of wish they still tap danced because I do think that would be just fun. I feel like not that tap dancing is a lost art, but not you don't see a lot of tap dancers anymore. You don't. I just remember in college, every time there was like a talent show, we had the one kid at our school who would tap dance. I probably watched this guy tap dance 20 times in my four years in college. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. You don't remember that guy? No. It is a lost art, though. It is. I took tap dance lessons as a kid. No, you did not. Yes, I did. I have pictures to prove it. Do you have video? Mm, probably not. Dang. Maybe at one point. That's what we need. So for there was a period of time in the mid-1970s as well where the Walt Disney World Dapper Dance also had a four-seater Schwinn bicycle, but it lasted for a shorter period of time than the Disneyland Dapper Dans had them. So let's transition. That's a good segue. Let's talk about the Walt Disney World Dapper Dans. They actually made their appearance in Orlando before October 1st, 1971. Their first set was in the Photoshop on Main Street, and they were performing for the cast members, the opening day cast members, and their families a week before the grand opening of Walt Disney World. That's fun, because even today... They always do little special things for cast members. Like Liz will talk about how when they're getting their new buttons or their pins, she'll say, I hope Mickey's going to be there. Or I'm trying to think of what else they do for cast members. But I like that they were even thinking about that 50 years ago 
Like, what can we do to make this special for these families? Yeah, so a lot of times you may have seen them online. They will have special characters that are mainly at Magic Kingdom. Whenever the cast members are coming into work, you'll see them take pictures with rare characters. I know Panchito was just there this past week greeting cast members as they started their shift. So it is nice that they're able to do stuff like that. Who would you want to see to start your day? Every day, if you got to be greeted by someone, who would you want it to be? Probably Chip and Dale. Oh, they would be I feel fun. like everybody who meets Chip and Dale walks away just very happy. I would say Doug. Oh, Doug's a good one. <laughs> He's always happy to see you. I'm not the biggest Frozen fan, but like an Olaf hug would be good to start the day. Donald. If I could start my day with a little Donald wave, a little dance, I'd put a little pep in my step. You ready to talk about our Dapper Dans again? I guess so. So although the inaugural performance did happen at the Photoshop, their home, quote unquote, in Walt Disney World has always been the Harmony Barbershop. So tucked back there in the corner behind the fire station to the left of the Emporium is the barbershop. Sadly, it is closed right now, but when it's open, that is the area that they hang out in the most. They will do performances right in front of there. They've kind of adopted the train station as a second home for right now uh, during their modified performances, but they've been known that when customers are in there getting their haircut or a lot of kids are in there getting their haircut, they'll walk through there and sing songs and entertain people, or they'll do those performances right out in front. And still today, there is a drawing hanging on the wall that is a caricature drawing of the original group, and it was drawn by Bub Thomas, who was the original base of the original group of the Walt Disney World Dapper Dans. I think that's pretty cool, but what stands out to me even more about this is just the fact that Walt Disney World has a working barbershop in normal times because I feel like that falls into the same obscure category as a working bank. You know, how many people, A, even know it's back there or B, think to go there? I mean, they book it up months and months in advance. So some of you may be familiar with a lot of times now people will have their child's first haircut there because they do make a big deal of it. They give you a commemorative hat, I believe, and help you save the hair. So a lot of people will have their son's or daughter's first haircut there. But I've also seen that there are some Orlando locals who will go in there and have their haircuts on a regular basis. I mean, you know, it's got to be a good haircut. These have to be real professional barbers. You're not going to great clips. No offense to great clips. But I'm just saying it's got to be good, right? Yeah, I would think so. I want to see if someone who's like a ride or die onto the Main Street Barbershop, maybe they've been holding out this entire time until it opens again, and they just look like Santa Claus, and now they're going to go back in so that they don't turn their back onto their their institution. I mean, that would be pretty cool, like a transformation video, but at this point, I almost have to say let it go. So along with Bub Thomas, who I mentioned, who drew that caricature drawing, the other three original ones to Magic Kingdom were Dick Neeland, who was the lead, Jerry Siggins, who was the baritone, and Bob Mathis, who was the tenor. 
How confusing is that? Bub and Bob? What are the odds? Yeah, I wonder what Bub's real name was, too. It might have been a repeat of one of those. (laughs) So another Dan that I think you should know for Magic Kingdom historical purposes was a gentleman by the name of Joe Hudgens. And he became a Dapper Dan in March of 1973. He replaced Bob Mathis as the tenor. There's lots of interviews out there with him and lots of stories. He was kind of like a trial by fire or a baptism by fire, I guess would be a better terminology for it. He had no experience at all singing barbershop before this. He worked in entertainment in Walt Disney World beforehand, and they basically just recruited him the week before he was ready to go out and be a Dan. He sang with an Orlando-based barbershop quartet group as a practice and then went out there and was a Dapper Dan right after that. So after his time as a Dan, he also went on to do a lot of other things in Walt Disney World Entertainment. He was the original six bits in the Hoopty Doo Review, which I think is the funniest character in the Hoopty Doo Review. As well, he was the very first Dreamfinder that walked around the park. Ooh, that's cool. So the Dreamfinder, they used to get to hold the figment, right? Yeah. It was like a package deal. Correct. Oh, that would be so cool. In recent years, there has been a push to get Joe Hudgens a Main Street USA window, which after reading his accomplishments, that was one of the first things I looked up, was does he have a Main Street USA window? And he does not. And so I think hearing that resume, you know, originating Six Bits, being a Dapper Dan, and being Dreamfinder, he certainly deserves a Main Street window, I would think. So would we like to join that cause for him to get one? I would, but... I guess my only question to that would be, do the other Dapper Dans have their own window? I don't think so. So Not the originals. Then why wouldn't they get their own window? I would like to petition that they get a window. Well, there's only so many windows. But I, I, then maybe they all get to share a window. Briefly going back to that original four, Bub, Dick, Jerry, and Bob. Bub and Dick were both Disneyland Dapper Dans previously. So they moved to Orlando from Anaheim in order to continue their role in Magic Kingdom. And then Jerry and Bob were brought on once they got here. And so it's kind of Bub and Dick adopted a lot of the things that the Disneyland Dapper Dans would have done and brought them to Magic Kingdom. So that's how they kept maybe the same culture or the same you know style between the two of them. Although they, they still would have had managers overseeing them and stuff, but they're really attributed with keeping the integrity or the, the just the aura of what the Dapper Dans are alive, bringing it to a brand new park. And I would like to think that Bub and Dick were able to hold their own auditions because I feel like not only do you want someone who's talented, but you also have to be able to get along and work creatively together. I'd like to think that it would have been like a voice situation you know like the show or american idol like there was a randy and a paula and a simon i mean i guess there were only two of them but wouldn't you think that would make sense if you're making a group potentially but you also have to remember that those are just the first four hired so normally during normal operations there would be 12 dapper dans on staff and they would rotate through they would also have alternates that they would bring in 
as well. So those are just the original four. They're not the same ones you would see every single day. They would expand it out to 12. There were 12 in Disneyland and 12 in Magic Kingdom. Oh, well, then maybe I retract my window statement. I thought they were like the four. Well, they were the four original and then they expanded it out and hired more so that they didn't have to work seven days a week. Nope, seven days a week. I want the original cast. Just like a Broadway musical. You got to see the the right people. Yeah, they didn't do that. Hey guys, just wanted to do a quick editor's note before we go into the next portion of our conversation. In just a few moments, you will hear me reference an American composer by the name of Meredith Wilson. I made the mistake of using the pronouns she and her. Meredith Wilson was actually a male composer. So sorry for the mistake, but wanted to get that out of the way because I think this conversation is still helpful and pertaining to what we're talking about. But I did mistake the gender of Meredith. So back to the show. So to tie this back to the 50th, I thought it was interesting to note this, is that the Dapper Dans did perform at the grand opening celebration on October 25th, 1971. And the first song that they performed was Light a Rose, which I will play for you now. Now here is my love song, not fancy So you may have heard that song, sung by the Dapper Dans. They do not sing it as often anymore. It sounds like, from what I was reading online, a lot of times this is a song that they will play by request. It's not normally part of the normal sets anymore. However, this song is very, very special. Not only because it was the first song that they sang at the grand opening celebration, but this is a song from the musical Music Man. And it was composed by a composer by the name of Meredith Wilson. And where, you may ask, where was Meredith on October 25th, 1971? She was in the Magic Kingdom. She was backstage preparing to direct the marching band down Main Street, USA. And it was said that she did not know that they were going to perform Lida Rose. And she could hear it from backstage. We'll talk about the waterworks. Mostly for Meredith, (laughs) Uh, because I don't really have a sentimental connection to this song, except for now, I do feel like they have to play it. This is my takeaway, is that I want to hear Lida Rose on October 1st, 2021. I think it's only fair. It only makes sense that that is what they sing. 
The only thing that makes me nervous is like you said, if it's not really part of their set anymore, I wonder if people have the same, what's the word affinity for it that we would just knowing, or if people would be like, what is this? Like, this is not Disney music. I came here for Disney music. And maybe they wouldn't appreciate it quite the same. So we will just have to shout it out and request that they sing it. That's our goal. Do they typically take requests? Not up on the train station, but when they used to perform like down street level, they would. But up on the train station or when they're riding in the trolley car, it's a set list. Well, I was going to say, because they do have their jokes, they still tell the jokes, and it seems like they're all very much on the same page. There's not a lot of, well, there's not a lot of improv, I feel like, which isn't a bad thing. Obviously, their show is amazing. I just, I don't know how you're going to request it, sir. Yeah. It's a big ask. Well, we'll do our best. So kind of my parting thoughts on this before we wind down this episode is something that was documented about how Walt viewed the Dapper Dans. And Walt used the quote when referencing them is that they are the ambassadors of Main Street. And he took such great joy knowing that of all the guests coming into the park on a single day, a large portion of them the very first experience that they would have in his park, in his dream come true, would be hearing the Dapper Dans sing music that was relevant to the turn of the century, that fit the theme of the land that they're in, that was comedic, that was enjoyable, and it was a big deal to him. And so that's why, as we continue to see the company make cuts, and unfortunately a lot of times we do see those in entertainment, now they are bringing back some of them more often. It's things like this that nobody's paying extra just to see the Dapper Dance, except maybe me. <laughs> but I think it's important that we really treasure things like this, that they set the tone for the land and they set the tone for what level of entertainment that Disney is going to provide to their park goers. Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway is just that, you know, Main Street is so sentimental to everyone. That's where I feel like everyone that we ever talk to, as soon as you step on Main Street, even oftentimes before you get to see the castle, that's kind of where your shoulders are relaxed and the weight has been lifted and you feel like you're home. You can smell the confectionery. I do think the Dapper Dans play into that. Not only the immersion, which is something that we treasure but also just the relaxing feeling, the knowingness of I'm here, I've made it, we're home. And I I do like that Walt thought about that. It wasn't just his personal preference, but it did kind of fit into the overall theme of what he was going for. I have one piece of trivia I will ask you and our listeners before we sign off. And that is the Dapper Dans make an appearance in one attraction in Walt Disney World. Can you name that attraction? So just to get some clarification, well, I think (laughs) they go ride the attraction and they'll sing on it. No. Oh, you mean, so you mean. They are portrayed in one attraction. Oh, well, that kind of ruins the fun. I thought you could just like see them on the carousel or something singing one day. That's not what you meant. No, not at all what I meant. Oh, 
Okay, well, then uh, Haunted Mansion? No. They could be cadaver dance. I don't know. That was the first thing that came to mind. All right. Three seconds for our guests at home, for our listeners to make their final, put in your final answer. If you guessed Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, then you would be correct. In the Uh, very first scene, there are four dogs riding a four-seater bike dressed as the Dapper Dans. In like the amusement park scene? Yeah. No, No, not in the amusement park scene. In the very first scene, once you leave the train station, I believe. In the park? Yes, in the park. I thought so. Any other thoughts on the Dapper Dans before we sign off? No, I just think they were already on our list of things that were a must-do on the 50th. This definitely solidifies it, if anything. We'll be listening for Ladder Rose. We'll probably be sitting on Main Street for a large portion of our day. But, I don't know. I do enjoy just knowing that they were there then. It doesn't seem like they're going anywhere. They were one of the first entertainments to be brought back when everything was opened. So I just think they have a big role in Magic Kingdom. I would agree. So thank you guys so much for listening. If you're in the planning process for your next Disney Universal vacation or cruise, whatever it might be, reach out to our friend Hannah Little with Creating Magic Vacations. She'll get you set up and get that ball rolling so that you can have your wonderful vacation set in stone and ready to enjoy. You can reach her at detournoneverland.com slash little bit of Disney. The link to that is also down in our show notes, just easily for you to click over there. And of course, we'd love for you to check out our Patreon as well as we are further expanding and going deeper into storytelling over there. So we thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back on Monday. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Make sure you subscribe and leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the show. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland or visit DetourToNeverland.com. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. See you real soon.